Hi, and welcome to the Boat Princess podcast. My name is Nikki Vo, and I'm your host. I am a boat owner, a marina owner, a director on the Marina Industries Association, and a huge advocate for boating. In this series, I'm sharing the stories from every nook of the boating industry with the intention of encouraging more women to join me and for more women to get behind the helm too. I want to share the experience and opportunities of boating, of the boating industry, and I want you to join me as I bring the conversations and answer all the questions you've had. Boating is not just for the glamorous and rich and famous. It's full of beautiful and interesting people making the most of our natural environment and getting out there, enjoying the waterways. So let's set off the lines, take over the helm and escape to the world of boating. Welcome to another episode of the Boat Princess podcast. I've got a really interesting one for you today because this is all about the new technologies coming to the boating industry. We have got the first robot interview on um, the Boat Princess podcast. Of course, I'm not interviewing real robots, of course. I'm interviewing the amazing, incredible people that are creating them. So Lily Peel and Tom Lerfler, welcome to the Boat Princess podcast. Hi. (laughs) Nice to have you here. So Lily, tell me, let's go back a little bit into you and, and kind of how you've ended up in this part of the industry. So tell me about uh, how your boating world started. Yeah, so I was um, born into the boating world. Um, My dad is a shipwright and my parents run a a boat building restoration company. Um, So I've been around boats my whole life, Um, have learned to sail since I was seven, so I've always been sailing. I went to uni, did industrial design um, at UNSW and during that time, I was working at the Supiot Marina um, here in Roselle as a marina attendant. And Hullbot moved in. And I sort of met Tom, our um, CEO and co-founder, and over the years sort of watched Hullbot grow and develop. And by the time I finished uni, they were ready to sort of launch out into the world and need an uh, operations and sales manager. And I um, came on board. So that's you. Yeah. I love that. And Tom, what about you? Where did your whole boating world start? Yeah, I was introduced by sailing uh, to sailing by my mother, who actually sailed across the Atlantic when she was 19 years old, having no idea what she was doing, but a great sense of adventure. And um, that's been our experience of boating. A lot of family sailing trips, always having boats. Um, I sailed as a kid. Um, and absolutely love the adventure and wild places and and so on so i grew up uh diving and surfing and snorkeling and in and on the water and done most of my sailing on hobie cats right okay so in the water a lot Mm -hmm. with hobie cats love those Mm -hmm. (laughs) but that's really interesting that your mum did that Mm. i mean that's a very strong woman that does that so Mm. um why did she do that where did that come from for her? Her and her boyfriend saw a sign in the Cape Town yacht, uh, yacht Squadron there saying crew wanted to sail across the Atlantic to the West Indies. And they met the guy who'd built the boat himself. It's a 38-foot catch. And they set off. 
navigating by the stars with no radio, two couples and a cat, and sometime during the journey, her boyfriend realized that it was getting really cold and thought he might learn some navigation too, to check on the skipper's maths. Yeah. And at that point realized that they were 45 degrees off co course <gasps> and we're heading steadily into the Southern Ocean rather than towards the West Indies. She was presumed <laughs> lost at sea and ended up giving her uh, distraught parents a very welcome phone call from Rio de Janeiro about eight weeks after she was supposed to have made landfall. So that story was always there in our in our family, mum would always say, I sailed across the Atlantic, you know, and mum loved wild places. And we're lucky enough to have a lot of her artwork here on the, the walls at Holbot from Antarctica. Um, and so, yeah, we, um, we grew up with a love of taking care of, of nature and wanting to do something about climate change and um, restoring wild environments. And so, yeah, that's my love of boats comes from the ability to go places in them and do cool things with them. So, Wow, that is quite a story. I'm glad I asked that question. <laughs> and Lily, you've had some serious sailing experiences, I can imagine, as well. Is there any, you know, can we, can we top that or can we meet that or...? Um, <laughs> I, I don't, my sailing experience is very much, um, I grew up sailing on Sydney Harbour um, and so I sail cherubs at the moment. Um, which are a 12-foot skiff sailed by two people. I sail with another girl, Kathy. Um, and for me, sailing has just been being surrounded by the most wonderful and lovely people um, and being able to go to incredible places um, up and down the East Coast. You know, I've, I've sailed all around Australia. It's been such an amazing experience and opens up an incredible gateway of this community of people that are just they're my family, they're my people that I'm going to spend the rest of my life going on holidays with and hanging out with and the the romance as well around boats. I come from a timber boat family as well, so it's very much the, um, the idea of romance and, and caring for boats and making sure they have longevity and they're there for a really long time and they're contributing to the ocean and its, and its well-being and, and the way that we interact with with the water isn't a, you know, it's not disposable. It's It's got that longevity to it and it's got that community around it, which, yeah, so not as not as wild as sailing across the Atlantic, but, um, yeah, I had a few good rides on the boats, that's for sure. I, I will say that Lily is an incredible sailor, just an absolute natural as a skipper, and we've had some fun sails together. Um, and I, yeah, I've learned a lot even on the, the few trips we've had. And you've taught quite a lot of people to sail too, haven't you? Yeah, I, I've since sort of, I think 14 was when I sort of started teaching sailing. Um, so yeah, I spent a lot of my youth um, teaching sailing, uh, mainly in the Sabos and then into the Flying Eleven. So doing a lot of, um, yeah, courses, teaching kids, taking kids to nationals, being their coach at nationals. Um, yeah, being being involved in that respect. And then now have a lot of involvement in the sort of committee level of, of the sailing clubs and, you know, that that organisation level of allowing these big events to happen for other people to enjoy and, and turn up to. 
And, and there's a few things you mentioned there, which I, which is the thing I love about boating, and that is, is the community and the, the family that you feel you have around you because you're into sailing and into boating. Um, I think in society we're losing, you know, we don't know our neighbours, we don't uh, necessarily get so involved in so much volunteer work and all that sort of thing. So that community in boating and, and sailing I think is actually a really important part of why we enjoy being in the boating world. Um, so that's lovely to hear that. So you've both come from a, a very strong sort of sailing background and, yeah, sailors too, do tend to have a sort of environmental piece to their to their love of boating as well, don't they? So um, here you are at Hullbot. You've created this uh, incredible company. Um, Tom, how did that, how did the concept of Hullbot come around? Mm, it's a great question and quite a long story, but um, we so, like long stories. Yeah, my, <laughs> um, I was lucky enough to always have a workshop growing up, and so had always been making things. Um, I studied design, and um, I worked as a boat builder. And during that time, I studied naval architecture for two and a half years, which wasn't for me. Um, before switching back to industrial design and um, Hullbot started as a major project for me at UNSW. I had the opportunity to work on something really interesting. I wanted to work on a robot that solved a big environmental issue and a big economic issue that people would pay for um, and was aware that this was one possible option. And, I had time to research it. And the more I looked into the problems of biofouling um, at the global level, you know, not just keeping sailing boat hulls clean, but, but actually the impact on fuel emissions globally um, and the impact of anti-fouling paints on marine life and of course the invasive species. It seemed like something worth spending a year working on, um, which has turned into many years now, getting up to 10 years. Wow, is um, it 10 years? Goodness, yeah. Yeah, so so along that journey, um, it started as a, as a concept. What if we cleaned um, every day? Seemed pretty straightforward. You'd yeah. keep the boat clean and you wouldn't have to haul out and recoat and you wouldn't need divers in the water and you wouldn't have any invasive species and the boat would go really fast and you wouldn't have any emissions and so on. And at that point, everything was possible. You could just make a robot that did that. <laughs> and, and we didn't realize, um, um, you know, how hard that would be yeah. um, and proceeded anyway and um, built a number of robots. Um, uh, Carl Watfern, um, co-founder and CTO, joined super early in the project um, and together we founded Hullbot and you know the rest's are quite a long story which yeah. I'm sure you'll ask about. <laughs> <laughs> so that degree you were doing at Uni of New South Wales what degree was that? The yeah, same one that Lily did. So yeah. you're, you're, you've both done? Industrial design. Industrial design okay yeah and it's interesting at the uni when you do a degree like that. They do. My son's about to do the same thing. He's about to do his major project for electric, electronic engineering. So yeah. um, it is. It makes you think, doesn't it? You've got to sit back and think. Okay, what am I going to do? And for you guys, that has now progressed into 
the business that you now are the founder of. So it's, that's really, really exciting that, uh, that that is the, found, the foundation of it, as it were. So, Lily, when you came into um, Hullbot, how was your – you obviously come into it from a sailing perspective – um, what was what was it you brought to the table? And what how what has your influence been on the development of Hullbot? Do you think? Yeah. So when I came into Hullbot, it was um, very early days of sort of going public, of of showing people the robot, of going out and cleaning boats regularly, of interacting with customers. Um, so my experience um, in the boating world sort of prepared me for that customer interaction and and. Um, customer discovery and that's sort of what I ended up doing in the company so I sort of put it out to the world and started the well took over the pilot program which we've been running in the harbour I think for 18 months now um, and started interacting with customers started getting new customers on board um, demoing the product to different people so taking it to clubs taking it to associations around the harbour and and really starting the process of education and teaching people about what we're doing, our mission, our goal, our values and how the robot works and sort of, you know, starting that conversation around the community of boating of there's there's another way for us to tackle this problem um, and there's there's another way for us to help care for our oceans and, and still enjoy that lifestyle of boating that we're all here for as well. Well, that's right. I mean, we've got to, we've got, we really as boaters have to look after our oceans because if we don't, that that's our environment of enjoyment lost. So, we we do have to be incredibly careful about that. So, um, getting in out there was was really your role that you're doing there. It's a real education piece. You've got to be strongly getting out there. Is what sort of um, mediums have you used to to expose the product to your potential client base yeah so a lot of a lot of what we've done is more or less word of mouth at the moment um we've had some really really strong advocates that have taken on our product and and sort of embraced it um in its fullest a lot of which are from royal sydney yacht squadron is sort of our base at the moment that we're dealing with a lot of the the really wonderful members there and they've really taken hullbot in their stride and we've gotten to a point now where I can stand on the dock with the members from the squadron and they'll explain Hullbot to someone else for us and with the same level of enthusiasm that we have for our product and our company. Um, So, yeah, I've been doing a lot of word of mouth, being out there, cleaning the boats, social media, LinkedIn. We've been involved in a lot of really amazing um, competitions um, that we've we've been lucky enough to win. Um, The... Pitchfest um, was one of the ones that we recently have won, so got a lot of media attention out of that as well, which was really helpful. Um, but yeah, just so yeah, I would say um, we've done quite a lot of direct outreach to specific individuals who can um, both be early adopters themselves, but spread through their networks. We've found Instagram to be a powerful tool for communicating us as a startup, mm-hmm. but maybe doesn't have the uptake within the customer segment that we've been primarily targeting. Because they're too young. Gentle, gentlemen <laughs> sailing <laughs> no, races. Well, no, yeah. they're too old. <laughs> too young and too young. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, Hullbot has uh, applications across a wide variety of different segments. So we started with sailors because... 
sailors understand the importance of keeping the hull clean yep. and are already using divers as regularly as they should for the most part. Um, and so we've been very lucky to be able to deploy a product successfully in that segment for over two years now. Um, but we're expanding into other areas, which... Yeah, I was going to ask you, which, you which sort of markets are you tar- are you targeting commercial or just... Um, in you know sailing yeah. or what 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 are you what are you yeah. what's the what's the big goal in terms of the Absolutely. markets you want to tap into? Absolutely. So from day one, we've wanted to make the robot from technology that was affordable enough to ultimately enable one robot on every boat in the world, no matter how big or small. It'll have access to a robot that goes in the water and cleans the hull once a day or overnight so that the boat remains clean at all times. And that was a pretty ambitious goal. Yeah. And so we realized pretty early on, let's make a few less robots and let's use them on lots of boats. And so we offer fortnightly cleaning to sailors. Um, okay. And that's what we called the pilot program. And we've been doing that for a couple of years now. But the, the vision is to deploy robots through marinas and charter fleets, where a small number of units can clean many hulls, yeah. to deploy robots on ferries, where we offer clean hulls as a service, saving them fuel and reducing their other operational headaches, and then to make slightly larger robots, which are applicable across the fishing and naval and commercial fleets at large. And cruise ships, we're gonna get that big? We will, we will get into yeah. cruise ships, both yeah. for the hulls and for propeller cleaning. And we should mention that Hullbot does inspections as well as cleaning, which means it's an excellent tool for port security, um, for hull surveys and inspections, and monitoring of invasive species and condition of structures and so on. So we're heading in a lot of different directions. Yeah. Um, and our focus is on charter fleets, marinas and and clubs, concentrations of uh, smaller recreational vessels and on ferry fleets, which is our, um, yeah, it's probably our single biggest focus at the moment. Yeah. I can see Lily wanted to say something when I said cruise ships. What was Lily wanting to say then? I was just going to put it into context for the listeners. Our robot at the moment that we have is about the size of a backpack or a case of beer whatever reference you want to want to use. <laughs> very Australian um, reference. <laughs> but, but, yeah, they're pretty small, compact compact units that, yeah, where we've got at the moment which have that ability to scale up for cruise ships or, you know, cargo containers mm. and so on. Yeah, because I remember that, um, that moment in New Zealand when that cruise ship was going to go into New Zealand but they said, no, you can't come in because you've got an invasive species on the hull. Um, and divers had to go out to that open ocean and dive underneath that cruise ship and deal with that. I would much prefer a robot doing that than a yeah, human being. So. Yeah, so we think it's about 6% of vessels um, failed their uh, biosecurity requirements of New Zealand last yeah. year. There you go. And so that's increasing. Now, Australia actually has the same regulations, but at the moment we're not enforcing them. And part of that is to... No one's there. You need to put divers in the water. Yes. 
or robots in the water. So, so this is coming and it's going to change um, the way boat hulls are maintained, but also the way we keep waterways protected from invasive species and ports secure in general. So yeah, very exciting. Yeah. So I'm guessing the ideal scenario, I mean, yeah, we're talking about a lot of boats in the world, right? Yep. But I mean, there's, I think there's 12 and a half million boats in the US alone. So yeah, that's, that was a big call, putting a boat, a whole lot on every boat. Um, <laughs> we'll get that. We'll get that. <laughs> well, so recreational boats I'm talking about, not, yeah. we're not even getting into the shipping. So, um, so I guess the ideal scenario for Hullbot is that when you buy a boat, you buy a Hullbot 2 so that you never anti-foul the boat because that is actually the ideal, I'm guessing. Is that correct? Because Correct. So, yeah. so it's, it's quite complicated and everything's complicated about Hullbot. We've got underwater robots. Every boat's different. Every owner's different. Every yeah. use case is different and so on. Um, so to simplify it a little bit, we can clean hulls that have traditional soft ablative anti-foul by using soft brushes, using the robot very gently and just carefully taking the slime off the surface of that soft anti-foul. We prefer to clean hard anti-fouls, which we can maintain in awesome condition by cleaning every two weeks or so. Um, but of course, anti-fouling is really harmful to the environment and needs yeah. to be reapplied. So we're an excellent solution for using silicon anti-fouls where we would clean every week and again get that excellent performance or no anti-foul at all, which you're right, it's our ultimate goal. Yeah. What if vessels are painted with, an, with a durable epoxy or a, a decent gel coat finish and then they're maintained by robots every couple of days and that'll keep them in amazing condition and stop hundreds of millions of liters of paint which is micro and nanoplastics entering the ocean as well as all the biocides and all of the oils in the other products and so on which which enter and, and pollute waterways so whether it's a, a brand new boat or not we want to move people towards hard coatings that don't damage the environment and cleaning them with the robot yeah because sure. it's actually the diys that are more likely to use the ablative than the professionals that use the hard, right? Mm. So um, I my my and my head's thinking about this right now. In terms of Hullbot cleaning the hull when it's already got an anti-foul on it, does the anti-foul not then enter the water column because it's being taken off by Hullbot? Tell me about that. Yeah, so we it's actually really interesting. We have observed divers cleaning boats, and I'm, and I'm sure you have and other people. You see that big plume yes. that comes off, that dyed plume of antifoul that comes off, mainly from the ablative antifouls because that's how they're designed to work. Um, when we actually attach a hullbot to the boat, it doesn't produce that plume. There's a lot less antifoul coming off, and we've had quite a few independent yards sort of give feedback back to owners and say, the antifouls in better condition to what it previously had been when divers were caring for the boat. So because it's a robot and not a human, you can take out that human error. So it's the same pressure being applied to the entire hull. It's varied pressure depending on what the paint is and what the boat is. So it's a much more even clean of a right. hull, which means that 
you have a little bit less impact. It's not ideal that we're cleaning boats with antifoul. Our end goal is we want to not be cleaning boats with antifoul, but yeah. this is the first step in changing an industry that's been the same for a very, very long time. Yeah. Um, we still need to go through that process of education and learning and seeing how this industry can adapt to new technology like this. And, and that'll be a, a longer process, yeah. but, but we're hoping we'll get there. So that turbidity of the that plume the fish have to fly, swim through yep. is much lower with hullbutt than it is with, as you say, the divers. Which yeah. are, I've never been a fan of the divers going under, and one because it's so dangerous for them, but two because that you can see it. It's it, yeah the antifoul coming off in into the water. Yeah, yeah this it's a it's a common question. You know, will the robot damage my antifoul? And um, you know. And also, what does cleaning mean? So ideally, cleaning happens very regularly, right? And some sailors do it fortnightly or weekly. Um, a lot of other boats don't clean at all or nearly often enough. And if you clean infrequently, you're removing shells. Mm. And if you're removing shells, you're using a lot of force and you're probably damaging the coating below and removing, you know, significant amounts of coating. And the impact of that is everything that's taken off during that intensive infrequent clean ends up in the water. Um, and the end result is the coatings below are damaged, the hull condition is rougher, and that leads to the boat fouling quicker and not performing as well in the first place. Thus, people sometimes have a hesitation to clean, whether it's with a robot or whether it's with a diver. And you see this night and day difference between people who clean regularly, mm. who swear by it, and they might use a hard, and they pay for divers, or they pay for our cleaning service, and their, their hull is in a much better condition year-round. They get a longer life from their antifoul. They extend the time between reapplications, and we love seeing people make that. When you can see someone see it, the transition happen, or and they've never done it before, it's really awesome to see how stoked they are and how much of an advocate they become. Yeah, I think um, that's the the really interesting thing. Our robot navigates underwater using cameras, and it mm -hmm. takes photos of, of what it sees under the water, produces maps, and that's then how our robot navigates on its own underwater. Um, so an, an extension of that is that we offer a before and after report um, to visually show the condition of the hull. So it's, it's, it's really incredible to watch the customer journey of people as they come on board with Hullbot go, no, my boat only needs to be cleaned every three months. I don't want it cleaned any more frequently than that you give people an underwater view of what their hull looks like and suddenly it's like, oh, oh, it's really bad. Okay, no, we'll do it every month now. Yeah, especially in Sydney Harbour. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then you have that progression of people wanting to clean their boat more regularly because it's boat hulls are very out of sight, out of mind. People watch, you know, the side of their boat and they go, oh, it needs a wash. I can see that it's dirty. It needs to be polished. But the underside of people's boats, the norm is to just get it lifted yearly and that's sort of what the industry standard is at the moment so to be able to show people what's happening under the water and have that level of education as well through our technology is really incredible and 
yeah, it's a night and day difference between boats that are maintained on a on a monthly or a fortnightly basis versus boats that either aren't maintained at all other than their yearly lift or boats that are looked after, you know, every few months. Yeah. And and there is a there is a huge difference between boat owners in that space. Um, I think we need to educate while we hear about anti-fouls in general um, that having a professional do your anti-foul on a boat can make a ma- massive difference to just how good that anti-foul is and how long it lasts, but also where your boat lives. So, for example, if a boat lives in my marina at Empire Marina Bobbin Head at one of mine, um, then the, the growth is very slow. If it lives in Sydney Harbour, in certain areas of Sydney Harbour, it's incredibly fast. So um, the fact that you can pop the hull bolt onto it to allow that length of that anti-foul to go uh, longer on a Sydney Harbour boat is really good. Um, but also the the quality of the application of the anti-foul in the first place is really important. So we, for example, use a hard and we we do it actually as thin as we possibly can because that is what it should be because the more we put on, the heavier the boat gets. And again, we're back down to fuel consumption again, right? Um, And it will build over over a number of years and then you have to have it sandblasted and blah, blah, blah. But what I am interested to ask you guys is, I totally get the, especially for the sailors that are racing, they really need a clean hull all the time. Um, but I'm guessing we're suggesting hullbot is a, it's kind of a, an in addition to not anti-fouling as such, but potentially lifting and caring for the boats because it is actually incredibly important that we lift our boats once a year, not necessarily for anti-fouling, um, although that's what we normally do at the moment now, but hopefully Hullbot will change that. But um, there are things that we check when we lift a boat every year. So it's things like the shafts are not wobbling around. It's things like the skin fittings are okay. It's um, it's things like the props are actually as they should be. And um, that's actually a really important thing. So I do think we need to educate here that having a, a Hullbot is not the only solution to the care of your hull. So, Tom, talk to me about that. Yeah, so I would I would agree. It's um, really important that boats come out of the water. And the question is, when do they come out of the water? And when are these things that you're talking about detected? So if we could pull boats out after there's a problem with a prop um, and say we detect that with the robot's cameras and then book it in for a lift to fix that problem, rather than doing them on the cycle of coatings and saying, look, you know, the props are a bit damaged and we're probably using 5%, 10% more fuel, but we'll fix that when we come out in nine months' time for a recoat, right? Um, We should be inspecting these things continuously and pulling boats out to do whatever needs to be done at the time that makes sense for that purpose rather than on the cycle of docking. Um, the other thing I would mention that's that's important is the, you, the impact of even very early stage slime on fuel consumption is not necessarily well understood. Yep. Um, we think that the more regularly one cleans, the more 
and more and more benefit there is in terms of fuel savings. So the idea is not to mitigate the growth of the occasional shell or not let the shells get too bad, but it's actually to keep the hull free of even the slightest amount of slime year round. And we're validating that at the moment by cleaning ferries, which have very consistent and um, detailed uh, data on their fuel consumption. And it shows that yeah, cleaning the hulls regularly with a robot saves a lot more fuel than cleaning intermittently with divers. Um, and you're absolutely right. Um, we, we've had these discussions with a number of people who've said, oh, we inspect just when we're supposed to. So we, we might inspect this fishing vessel at, at every two years, and we pull it out for an intermediate docking at three years, um, and the coatings last three years, and we don't dive because diving damages the coating and so on. And you have a look at the hull, not only is the hull in bad condition, but there are lots of problems that really should be fixed straight away. And you know, that boat should come up and have those problems fixed in say a 12 or 24 hour period um, and, and then be put back in the water straight away so that it can have the benefits from those repairs early rather than doing this block of work in line with the, with the painting cycles. So, you're totally right. It's a, it's um, it's uh, um, boats have to come out of the water. There are other technologies um, that have a role to play for sure. Um, uh, you know, ultrasonics have a place in certain areas. Um, anodes and cathodic protection is really important, and it depends on where the boat is and how often it moves. Um, but there's a lot of boats that have, as you were just mentioning a pretty poor paint job and they stretch it as far as they can mm. and all that paint goes into the water and the hull is fouled year round and it's being damaged by the growth and the opportunity to move more people up towards what it could be like and save the money in the process is really it's really massive. Well, this is it. Yeah, this is the thing. I mean, as, as a marina, we're always telling our owners, lift your boat every year. Because like you say, we can find the small problems that may be there that we can fix quickly. If you leave it in the water for three years, yeah, sure, we've got slow growth. So you could leave it a bit longer if you wanted to. But if you leave it in the water for three years, that can be a really big problem. Um, my good friend Brian Gatt was at the marina yesterday. He's a big fan. And he, um, of you guys, I mean, and he said... Um, that, uh, you know, it's, I mean, he's electrolysis specialist. So he can, if your boat's got an electrolysis issue and you leave it in the water for three years, you can have props that no longer exist because they've completely been eaten away. So this whole um, aspect that your robot um, continuously um, can uh, uh, inspect the boat underwater is really exciting because, it's not only, you know, a person's boat that can be looked after, but, but I see a, a, a future for people like um, boat syndication companies, boat club companies, um, where, you know, often you'll have um, a syndication owner come back to the marina 
and they've had a lovely time out on the boat and they didn't mention that they went aground. Um, but they, <laughs> they, the next person gets onto the boat and then say, oh, there's a bit of vibration in the prop going on. Um, can you check that out? But that is somebody four times down because because the the three people before that are not really boaties. But the, the fourth person that's got onto the boat has said, oh, there's a bit of vibration in, in the, the, the engines. Can you check that out? The, the share company this then checks out the prop and it's got a bend or a, or a chip or whatever in, in the prop. Um, if they've got a hull bot sitting on that boat, they could pop it down for an inspection after each use, presumably, um, and then solve that there and then. Am I right? Yeah. So... So that's, that's, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, syndicate companies, generally what happens is they'll, they'll bring their boats back um, after someone's used it and they religiously check that boat. Um, and when you're operating a syndicate company out of the Sundays or the Northern Territory where it's not always safe to have a diver go in the water and you've got that human risk element, having a robot have that capability to go in the water every time that boat comes back in and do a full inspection and make sure that that boat's in safe working order is a really, really vital tool we see. Mm. And it, and it's important to realise that not all inspections are created equal, right? We are fundamentally a robot company that uses computer vision and AI and machine learning as the means by which the robot finds its way around underwater. And that unlocks doing digital comparisons between things where you will pick up changes that are not obvious to the human eye. So rather than comparing one photo to another photo, you're comparing a 3D scan to a 3D scan and understanding even small changes over time. So um, we love the boat syndication and um, you know product as a service model there. We think it's yeah. a really great way for a lot of people to experience boating um, and to have a lower impact. Um, and it enables the cost of doing things which are more environmentally friendly or more advanced um, to be amortized over the whole fleet. So to give you a sense of how we would deploy in that context, um, our robot has a base station, which we call a pod. So we have a robot and pod system. The pod is able to lower the robot into the water on its cable, um, manage that tether whilst it's in the water, um, and then retract it out again, where it then recharges and is ready to deploy a couple of hours later. So and can that, you time it to do that? Or does yeah. it manually do it? You can do it automatically we as can, a timing thing. So yes. as, as a syndication or a club, you could say every night at midnight, the hull bot goes down, does this check, and then comes back up again. That's right. And okay. so what you would do is say if you have 10 boats, you'd have one robot and pod system there, and you'd move it between berths every you know couple of times a day, um, and it would then deploy and clean and scan that vessel. And our team is able to monitor and manage that remotely meaning that the, um, no one on site needs to understand too much about how the robot's working or have any special training or know-how. As long as this backpack-sized unit is in the right location, we can schedule it or connect to it and 
yeah, suddenly there's a robot in the water cleaning and inspecting. And so that reduces the cost quite significantly, as you can imagine, and means we can do a lot of boats in that are in a concentrated location very often and very efficiently and deliver a lot of value. Um, and that's the model we save a lot of time for those boat shake guys looking on all the video, uh, the the trackers of yeah. Now where have they been and what have they done? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that's the that's the model we we want to to do for syndications and fleets. Yeah, um, and clubs and, and so on. And clubs and so on. Yeah, um, and for um, marinas, it's similar. You know, a number of robot and pod systems on site can deliver weekly or fortnightly cleans for. Um, dozens and dozens of vessels without requiring people to travel there or to to learn anything about how the robot the product works and and lily because you're monitoring that system from here so it's doing its thing and you can see what it's doing here are you a bit like a security company that's looking after the the alarm at home in terms of if something goes wrong with it you can detect that and get it sorted is that how yeah. it works as well yeah definitely um it would be a, a an evolving system of um you'd have people located in the office software engineers electrical engineers um who would be monitoring that system um and making sure that it's you know being deployed and as safe as possible and if there is an issue that arises then we're first point of call that can look after and deal with that issue um be it a hardware problem that we get sent out and deal with it um, on site, or be it a software issue that can be fixed um, via the internet here from our office. Okay. And so, and so we're offering this as a as a service. We're not selling the robots to people. We're enabling. Ah, uh, I see. So it's like a, a, a subscription. Subscription. subscription yeah. Okay. So that so the the hardware is on location. Yep. Be that at a marina, on a particular vessel or um, being shared by a club. Um, and then there's an ongoing fee that's calculated based on the size of the vessel and the frequency of cleaning. Um, and then we take on the responsibility for everything related to the robot remaining functional and, and it's charging, it's spare parts, it's maintenance and all of those things. And um, that enables, yeah, well, it enables people to not it. to have to invest. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm guessing those robots are worth a fair amount of money, right? So, um, you know, if you if you're doing it on that in that method, and it becomes far like boat clubs and boat syndication. Frankly, um, it makes that far more available to a bigger group of people, doesn't it? And um, that's how we've been operating as well um, with this pilot that we've been doing in Sydney Harbour. Is we have um, every month people pay a subscription fee. Um, and that fee is determined by how many cleans that they have during that month. So it, yeah, you have that that monthly reoccurring payment that you're paying, and then you get your report with that as well that shows you the condition of the hull, and you get that updated information as you go along. So you're subscribing to a service. You're not having a product that then you need to learn how to use and implement and put in your boat, and it's not your responsibility as such. Mm. It's it's a service and it's a system that you're giving money for every month and then we we deal with all the hard stuff okay so you mentioned earlier on at one of the clubs you've got a a, a, a robot doing cleans on at certain boats every two weeks so that subscription presumably how does that work does it spread across those boats or 
um, does each individual boat owner pay for two weeks? How, how does that work? They're, they're individual boat owners paying for a fortnightly clean who have an ongoing direct relationship with Hullbot, um, where we provide a clean and monitored hull as a service. Okay. And um, how, how do and you liaise with the club in terms of installing that Hullbot in, presumably it's on the marina somewhere? Yeah, so how, how do you liaise with that? So we have been operating this pilot um, for the most part without the pods because a lot of those vessels are on moorings. And so okay. we travel to them and, and move the robot around. But we have partnerships with a number of marinas where we've demonstrated the pod. It's fully functional, able to deploy and retract the robot and do all of those things. And it's, um, uh, it varies based on the location. Do you want to mount it on a boat? Do you want to mount it on the dock? Do you want more pods or do you want to move them more often? We can vary all these things over time. Um, the, the robot that we've done the majority of our hull cleaning with that, and that people will see on our website at hullbot.com um, <laughs> is, is um, about three years old now yeah. and is being um, being replaced at the moment by a new robot that a lot of our customers have seen but that we haven't shared with everybody yet Ooh, that we'll launch later that. this year and that robot is as you would imagine better in every way faster stronger smarter able to to do more things the other one couldn't do um, and uh, really is going to change change the way that we operate. Um, we think that robot is suited to vessels up to around 200 feet. Um, and again, ultimately, we are going to be putting robots, whether it's one on every boat or several on bigger boats. Yeah, We've got the ambition to get this out there and, and, and offer it to people um, of all walks of life and at all price points. Um, for the moment, yeah, clubs and syndicates and, and um, ferries are really our, our targets. Okay. All right. And, um, okay, so supposing I were to take on this system at our Freedom Boat Club at Empire Marina Bob and Head, um, it has because, uh, one, because we're of a marina and two, because we're in a national park, it has an EPA licence um, schedule one. Do you guys talk to the EPA about it or do we have to do that? How, how does that work? Um, we're very active in that space and we've been part of several years worth of submissions um, to the various in-water cleaning guidelines. So to backpedal a little bit, you asked earlier, you know, does anti-fouling come off into the water when we clean? Another question people often have is, does biofouling come off into the water? Do we clean? Yeah. Or, or um, do, when we when we clean and and do we collect that? And the short answer is no. We don't collect it. We clean early and often enough that very little is coming off at all. And you know you can imagine what you would remove from a boat that had a hard anti-foul cleaned every week. Um, that was in your marina with the with slower growth rates, it, it's very, very little. And it's yeah. nothing that's not already in the water anyway. Um, and it's nothing that's not coming off the boat into the water anyway. Yeah. Um, 
So we are, we've had in our environmental assessments done and we've won quite a lot of awards for this approach, both in Australia and internationally. And we're very confident that not only would this um, meet all the current and future um, planned regulation in this space, that it would enable a really great story for marina operators um, in general to, to do the right thing and to show that they're adopting new technology and clean technology that prevents harm to marine ecosystems. Additionally, I should mention, we can clean the marina and inspect the marina assets as well. As oh, there you go. <laughs> we can do Which it all. We can do quite, it all. Quite useful. Yeah, we... we, we so is that something we spend an awful lot of money on? Yeah. 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 We think they should, again, be cleaned regularly rather than cleaned occasionally once it gets really, really bad, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and we, we also do um, inspections. So um, we can inspect moorings, we can inspect piles, we can inspect seagrass and other environmental areas. So it, it's quite a, a big and ambitious um, offering that we think will change the way marinas operate so it's um, a lot more than you first of all might think it, it, it is yeah. yeah yeah and i think i should also mention that within our we're cleaning boats that are already clean and we're cleaning in that early slime phase of fouling so it's it's not um reproductive biofouling it's, it's not something that's going to harm that environment and that's based off guidelines that we've looked at but we're also working quite closely with, um, you know, Border Force and, and EPA on the harbour and things like that, actually identifying areas that do have invasive species within the harbour and sort of going, hey, we noticed out on the harbour today that there's a new colony of this kind of, you know, growth that's happening. Have you, wow. have you learnt about that one yet? And, yeah. and working closely with them to make sure that the harbour in general is staying as safe and, and good as it can be. Um, and yeah. if a super, super yacht has has this on board and they're going from one port to another, they mm. can clean before they go so they're not taking that invasive species with them to the next port. And so that they're saving 10%, 20% of fuel on the journey there, right? And yeah. so, you know, this is a big problem. We're, we've all seen with COVID <laughs> the importance when, it, when when you think of invasive species, right? Yeah. It's not about ah, oh, just some got in. Yes. It's kind of, did any get in or did it not get in? We saw that with COVID, right? It's an exponential yeah. problem. Um, it's about um, stopping the spread by not letting any of it come in. Yeah. And in, a, in the Australian context, there are 60,000 large vessels entering Australian waters every year. And the current inspection rate is somewhere between one in... 2,500 and one in 5,000 gets some sort of proper visual inspection that would meet the guidelines that are being implemented in New Zealand under regulations which Australia has also adopted, right? Yeah. So this is going to change pretty fast from, you know, at the moment you can't enter a different state with a piece of fruit in your pocket. Yes. But... <laughs> Your hull, <laughs> my your sons hull love that piece. Have God, you have to fill in on the airport, yeah. airplane. They're like, yeah. why do we have to do this every time? <laughs> yeah, your hull might have, you know, one or ten or a hundred kilos or several tons of stuff on it, 
from but don't wherever. But don't bring those bananas in. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then you know, no no bananas <laughs> on the boat, ideally. Um, that apple you picked up on the aeroplane is not allowed. Yeah, no. yeah, that's right. You, is that is that a piece of mud on your shoe? It's like no, it's just my fouled supiot that's been to eight countries in the last six months and yeah. is and is going to now circumnavigate the country and go into lots of pristine areas. And then people say, "Oh, you're not going to clean it, are you?" Yeah. Well, no, we're going to keep vessels clean, as you say. Year round, but before of course, it gets here. before departure, before arrival, At in deep airport. water. Yeah. 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 All these different things are, are all aspects of the way we need to change. And going to what Lily said earlier, they, they become a problem when you can see them. Yes. People don't fix problems they can't see. And robots enable that vision underwater, especially robots, which use vision to find their way around. Yeah. So there's a big opportunity here to to um, change the way people perceive uh, the problem. And to your point, Nikki, like people would use, they would lift more if they could care about the hull as much as they care about the top sides, right? Yes. You can't see it. Yeah, exactly They would right. come out all yeah. the time and say, what's that? What's yeah. that? I need this. I want to, I want, you know, I want to, the whole bot's done a great job, but I want to, I want a mirror finish. Yeah. Like let's come out every but, three months. But also, months, you, you know, know like, timber boats, um, for example, I mean, imagine mm. if you could catch wood, woodworm before it even got yeah. a hold because you've had that so inspection done, you know. That's something that I've come from that wooden boat background um, and my, my parents are quite passionate about, about that side of things. Um, and yeah, it's really important for timber boats. Timber boats are one of the, the most ecological way of boating, you've got a boat that's been around for 150 years. Mm, um, and, myself. and as long yeah. as it's maintained and looked after and you yeah. catch things like woodworm really quickly and efficiently. Um, so we've done a lot of work with them of doing surveys of the boat underwater. And yeah, you might not know if a boat needs to come out of the water or not, but if you can do that quick scan and you can catch that, then the boat's sitting out of the water and you're paying for it to be out of the water for three days, not seven weeks exactly. while you've replaced 12 planks and recork the entire thing. So Yeah, and it makes it easy for the marina too because we can pull a boat out and, and they're just wanting an anti-foul, but then all of a sudden it's there for two weeks because it needs a whole bunch of work done to it that we weren't aware was going, going to be there. So that mucks up the entire schedule for every um, team that is on that, the shipwrights, the anti-foul team and everybody, and it, it blocks up our entire schedule of, no, there was, there was supposed to be another boat there that week. But, but we can't do it now because that one's sitting there having it done. So it's going to actually hopefully improve marina hard stand efficiencies. And I think that as well we're seeing this huge boom in boating in Australia and around the entire world. There's this exponential growth in the amount of boats that are being purchased, looked at, used. Syndicates are really popping off at the moment. Everyone mm. wants to be a part of this world. And real estate's at a commodity. Waterfront real estate, there's not a lot of it left um, mm. for boats to be pulled out and serviced and looked after. And so in order to allow boating to continue as well, you need to have different forms of technology that allow for boats to be out of the water for less periods of time, for maintenance to be more efficient, which then you know helps the, the pocket of the owner because your boat's not up for ages. And yards can go through this cycle of all of these boats that need to be looked after and serviced. It's not just whoever was at the top of the waiting list gets there first. It's 
what boat needs to come out in what order and, and for what maintenance to be done. And yards can plan that a lot better if you've got better understanding of what's happening under the water mm. and you've got that, you know, longer list of inspection that's been happening over time. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. So good. Yeah. Um, and in terms of... Um, I'm interested to understand how, I mean, obviously, when we look at a boat, a hull's easy to clean, mm. but you've got chines and you've got props and you've got hat shafts and does it do all that as well? Ah, you want to know about our sixth generation robot. Ah, okay. Tell me about that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, um, so to give you a little bit of context, uh, we've built quite a few robots over yeah. the years. And we've tried lots of different styles of cleaning attachments and so on. Um, and we've built lots of different brushes and we've operated them on boats with all of those things from timber clinker hulls and catamarans and boats with really hard chines. And we've got beautiful high resolution images of some really difficult stuff under there right now. Yeah. Most of the boats pretty straightforward for the most part, um, and the hard to reach areas get pretty difficult. Yeah, bow um, thrusters. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Things. Now the part, now that part's understandable because um, anyone who's cleaned something or who knows boats can put two and two together and be like, it's going to be easier to clean the open areas than it is to clean the through hole fittings. What's maybe less obvious is how hard it is to do any of it with an autonomous robot in the first place. <laughs> and, Fair enough. <laughs> and so the problem for us, um, despite doing all this, this, you know, uh, all these different versions of robots on the cleaning, in different cleaning attachments and so on, we recognize that the hard problem to solve is actually underwater autonomy. It's how does a small robot use its onboard sensors and its onboard computers to find out where it is under the huge variety of conditions that exist in the water, right? Yeah. Waves, tide, wind, um, push the boat around, they move the water around. It's a very dynamic environment. Um, you have turbidity and bubbles and objects in there. Fish. It can be, fish. Yes. It can be very dark under the middle of the boat and yeah. very glary near the surface portions of it are moving in and out of the water as you're trying to clean them and so on. Um, so it's quite a complex control problem. And in the context of underwater drones, uh, we have no access to any of the cool sensors that work for flying drones or driverless cars or things like that. So uh -huh. we have no GPS, no LIDAR, no, no radar. Um, we can't use um, wireless communication because it doesn't transmit underwater. Of course. If wow. You, if you yeah. imagine making a, a, a driverless robot that cleans a boat using your fish finder, you can understand that it'll be a slight problem. You get a kind of bunch of noisy blobs on the screen and you're like, how do I write code that understands how to do this in six degrees of freedom and, you know, three dimensions over time and so on. So. By solving that problem first, we've uh, given ourselves uh, the, the time to build the full stack of the robot. 
that can find its way around and do all the easy bits by itself. Yeah. Um, and with our latest generation, it'll also do all those tricky areas with the human giving it some support for yeah the hardest 10% of the boat, say. Um, and we, um, the design spec of that robot, um, which we're like actively um, preparing to make photos and videos of and show you and others as soon as possible. Well, it's already there, it's working really well. It cleans above the waterline and it cleans props and shafts and all those more complex areas. Um, and it does it pretty fast too. So um, we, we're confident that we can cover not every boat in the world, mm -hmm. but like a, some pretty complex areas. And we're not saying it's easy. Mm. We're saying it's incredibly, incredibly difficult, which is why no one else has done it, given <laughs> that it's such a huge market and such a big exactly. problem, right? Exactly. Um, You've sort also of like, justified mm. all those very intelligent looking people out yeah. there. <laughs> Yeah, everyone at Holbot looks very brainy, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, if, if it's true. It's true. Yeah, and yeah. Look, a lot of our team are. Um, I say out there, guys, because we're sitting in a, in a glass fronted <laughs> um, sound pod just to explain that to the listeners. Yes. Um, so we can see the engineers um, out there doing their hard work. Um, but yeah. Uh, but we, yeah, they can't hear us, which is, uh, it's. Of course, they got a sound pod at the whole bot. Of course, they have. Yeah. So, 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 so imagine, <laughs> imagine a robot um, about the size of a case of beer that has brushes on it that can lower itself into the water and then very quickly move around all the open areas of the hull um, and then can stick its cleaning brushes into and around hard areas, hard to reach areas as well as then clean any scum off from, um, you know, about a foot off above the waterline. Yeah, amazing. And, and then go back into its little pod and recharge. And go to sleep. And send you a beautiful report that says everything looks... Job done. Job exactly done. the same as yesterday. Yeah. Um, and uh, what this means for us is we can offer the perf performance benefits that race boats have to commercial vessels and that reduces their fuel consumption massively. And their racing ability as a sailing yacht. Racing ability yeah. as a sailing yacht is very, very important to us and we love mm. it. And obviously <laughs> we want we want um we want always sailors. want to win the races if we are from a boat in Australia. Absolutely. Yeah. But but sailors don't uh contribute to climate change that much. And so we, we, we're kind of interested in reducing the fuel consumption of larger vessels as fast as possible because from a robot perspective, a hull's a hull. Yeah. Um, but from a fuel consumption perspective, sailors are doing all right at the moment. Yeah. Um, they, so, they use the so, wind every now and then, thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. Occasionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do it. yeah occasionally, <laughs> yeah. And look, we've, we've tested it with obviously many sailing yachts and we get get people saying we get customers saying you're doing you're doing my mate's boat so you better do mine so it's even yeah yeah it's a bit of competition yeah it's like yeah it's like well you cleaned his an hour before you cleaned mine but i was your customer first so next time can you clean my boat second and his boat first yeah yeah yeah, yeah sure yeah. <laughs> yeah and and you know we we know this so look 
basically the, the, the physics of hull roughness has been studied in great detail, as you can imagine, because yeah. it impacts things like how fast Navy ships go yes. and how fast submarines go yes. and how many tens of billions of dollars are spent on bunker crude and heavy fuel oil every year, right? So it's been studied in huge detail and it's very clear that um, even the slightest roughness has a massive impact. Yeah. Um, but unless you're keeping your boat up on the hard sand and cleaning it every day during a regatta, your problem has been, oh, I don't want to take this out of the water for as long as possible. And I'm certainly not paying a diver to come every month or every week. And so people have accepted a status quo that actually, according to physics of hull roughness and the biology of how quickly stuff grows and the limitations of what paints are available or what paints are allowed to be used, is there's a big opportunity there to save fuel. Yeah. Um, and so our opportunity is to reduce that fuel consumption massively. And by the International Maritime Organization's own numbers, and they've done a lot of work on this, biofouling directly contributes to 1% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So just keeping hulls clean could be one of the largest opportunities to reduce carbon emissions and doing it directly by reducing people's costs. Um, so you're not paying a green premium. Seems like a pretty good idea and keeps us pretty motivated here at Holbot. But there's a, there's a few things in that, all that conversation we've just had. The, the fuel consumption is massive and the, the impact that that will have environmentally. And I have to say, there are perhaps listeners that are not recognising just how much the boating industry is investing in this space at this time because uh, electric is not necessarily the answer for boats. I mean, we've got, um, as I said earlier, 12.5 million boats sitting in the US already that have diesel engines in them, right, or petrol engines in them. And to change all those over to electric, a it's not going to work because of the range they need, because of the weight of the electric engines, all those sorts of things. So we need to go to biofuels. We need to look at different ways of fueling those engines that already exist because the actual environmental impact of changing those all out to a different engine anyway is totally inappropriate anyway. So, um, but the fuel consumption is a massive, massive difference that you're looking at there. And I, I know... Brian mentioned from Logics Group yesterday, the ferries that you're doing are using 20% less fuel because of what you're doing to them. Um, is, uh, you, did we get that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, if, so we, if we recoat them, we yeah. get about 20%. But if they're just as yeah. is, we just start using Holbot, yeah. we're getting about 12%. Yeah. So if we do that across the world for all of the boats, that that is a massive, massive impact. Mm. And then there was another thing you mentioned about keeping boats out of the water for a period of time. And we go back to the wooden boats. Oh, you yeah. can't do that with a wooden boat. Go on, do because that. You don't want to do that. It, it dries and it cracks and it does all sorts of wonderful things so that, that it, it you know, then you're putting things back together again and, and again it's costing you more money again. So um, so, there's, so there's some really interesting pieces here that is not just about what Hullbot is doing. It's it's impacting across 
a lot of the environmental space, which is actually really important to those of us that care, that want to see our environment um, looked after because it is what we love about boating. It's the beautiful waterways we get to see and the incredible fish and, and corals and all those wonderful things. They're actually incredibly important to us as boaters. So... Um, and also I love the the safety of the human element. I'm sure it's going to take work away for divers, but I, I do I get nervous about. And also the impact of anti-foul paints on people working with them as well. That That's another element of environment and human um, care we need to take as well. So, um, And I think so that's a key thing as well is it's not necessarily about taking work away from this industry it's about creating a new avenue within this industry for people to be a part of these robots are going to open up more opportunity and more jobs and more more availability to people have jobs in the industry as well so it's yeah it's about changing that scope a bit as well so whereas you know some people think you might be being disruptive what they actually need to look at is how you are um sort of adding to yeah. the efficiencies and and creating a different scenario that, like we said earlier about lifting boats, you know, I'd love it if we could, you know, lift five boats a day, check them, we're all good, yep, and fix those little items that Hullbot picked up and put them back in again, as opposed to lifting them once a week, anti-fouling them, putting them back in again. It would be it'd be so exciting to have multiple boats being dealt with and cared for much more so than they are now i mean that's that's a wonderful thing and that's the same on the diving too i mean the more things that we inspect you know if we have robots that are going in the water and doing inspections on all the piles that are around there's going to be a lot of piles that are found to need replacing mm. and that's probably better work for divers to be doing and more paid better paid work yes. and it can be done in a safer way with the, the whole site locked out or what have you same with um, moorings being switched over to smart moorings and seagrass friendly moorings the same with the work that we do in a whole range of areas so we want to see people um, not just have something that saves them a bit of money on their hull but makes them fall in love with a hull that's in great condition and they're going to want their hulls pulled out of the water and not just put a bit of paint on themselves because it's the necessary evil, but have yeah. this kind of, I want to, I, you know, I really want to change this and I saw this really cool different shape there and I want to fare this out. And It empowers I'm, the it, industry. It move, yeah. Give people budget back to do, to do cool things to their boats that'll, yeah, make them go faster and go further. And, um, but also keeps boats looked after yeah. for longer so that again the environmental because boats can last a long time if you look after them so um you know that again that environmental impact if, if we're if we're looking after the boats and they're not just sitting on a mooring and just gradually dying um yeah that's yeah, amazing absolutely um and to mention you know this is core to our objectives at Holbot, and it's part of why we maintain the ownership of the robots ourselves we think we believe strongly in the the circular approach so the robots should be kept functional for as long as possible because Repairable. it's on our balance sheet it's for us to repair and maintain we're not selling it to someone with the kind of ink inkjet printer 
model or the kind of appliance model where you're like, you're like the, the sensor's broken and they're like, well, the sensor's going to cost you 80% the price of a whole new fridge. And yeah. you're like, well, that's just a terrible approach. Yes. Instead, you get what you want, which yeah. is a clean hull um, for whether you're a racing sailor or a fisherman who wants the fastest boat to get out there quicker or... Um, if you've got an electric vessel and you need to maintain your range yeah. um, or a ferry and you need to maintain your timetable, we can offer that to people. And then we will keep those robots running as long as possible. And we're incentivized to make them as durable and as efficient in the amount of materials and resources that go into them. And then we'll recycle them at the end and we learn from that and we'll get better and better and better at it and they'll last longer and longer and, um, I, and and it's part of our approach and i agree we should keep stuff that's already there maintained and running as long as possible so lots of people can enjoy it and not scrap it and make a new one yeah because lily your background is perfect example you're coming from a shipwright background of wooden boats and we all know that a good shipwright can completely turn or, and, and all the teams involved in maintaining boats can turn. I mean, look at SeaTag Yachts that we've interviewed before a couple of times on our um, podcast. They take older boats and they completely change them into a new boat again effectively, which is, again, an environmental... Yeah. I mean, your pe- your family yeah, grew up with that, that's, right? Yeah, that's kind of my, my parents' bread and butter is they, they take old commercial boats, um, you know, big commercial fishing boats and turn them into Sydney Harbour day boats. So they have this new lease of life. They're not needed to be a fishing boat anymore, but they've got great bones and they've got a great hull and and you can see the vision in it and then that gets converted into something that someone else is going to love and look after and care for. And I think that also aligns with the BIA and the MIA are looking at this um, end of life circle for all of the Yeah, Icomia is doing a massive report on that yeah, at the moment. And, yeah, and looking at ways that we can complete this circle and if you have skilled trades and, and hobbyists and enthusiasts looking after boats in a really efficient and careful manner, people fall in love with boats. It's the whole reason why this industry exists, right? Mm-hmm. Is people love a boat and they, they fall in love with it and it doesn't matter if you're spending four times what you bought it for to fix a hole in the bottom of it, you're going to fix the hole. Um, so by having that end of life cycle and making sure that boats can live on forever and ever, you create a more sustainable way of boating because you're not having to deal with chopping it up and putting it in a skip bin and disposing of engines and getting... Which is a real problem. A disposal of boats is a real problem. Yeah, so if we if can sustain them for longer, that's that's so good. You better give your parents' plug business a plug there. What's, what's, their, uh, what's their name? Mike Butler Shipwrights. Say that again. Michael Bartley Shipwrights. They're down at um, Phoebe Street Marina now in um, Balmain. Cool. Absolutely incredible. And, yeah, you guys don't have a 60-foot hue and pine catch lying around or anything that you oh. can put some <laughs> put some whole bots on the back f- for me so that I can – I can't I – can't, live aboard on a uh, on an anchor out the front of Phoebe Street because, you know, with rents going up. And, you know, I'm sure we could make something happen. I'm sure we could. Find, there's, I mean, there's one that's there. I'm sure we can put you on board. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, Are you suggest, suggesting that uh, – oh, yeah, oh, They talk do about... such beautiful work there, honestly. Oh, they do gorgeous. such beautiful work and absolutely, yeah, yeah. highly recommend 
working with yeah, them. Yeah, big big yeah. supporters of Hullbot. They've um they've been very generous with with the hulls that they've given us access to and and their knowledge and understanding of the different implementations in which Hullbot can be used. Yeah. Um, I think the core thing is that Hullbot is a robotics company um, and we've got this incredible platform but don't necessarily have the intricate understandings of the industry as to what it can be applied for. So by having conversations with shipwrights and surveyors and boat brokers and owners, we understand the niches of that environment and go, oh, you don't need this kind of brush, you need this kind of brush or you need us to attach this kind of sensor so that you can do an underwater survey of a boat that's coming up for sale. We can implement that into our technology and it's having those really open and wonderful conversations with the industry um, that we can adapt our technology and really work in a really fast-paced way to, to adapt it to make sure that it can tackle these problems that we never knew existed until we went and had a conversation with someone and, and realised that that was another area where Hullbot can be of use. Yeah, and I think that's what you two bring to the... You're bringing a boating experience and a family-based boaters to this whole concept as well. Um, so it's, that's really great that you've you've done that. You haven't said, oh, this is what we're going to do. And, that, you know, you've used the experience of the boating industry to give you all of those insights into what it needs to do and how it needs to do it, which is great. Now, you've obviously been developing this product for a long time, Tom. Um where, how did you fund it? Did you do a crowdfunding? Did you do, have you got some very nice individuals that are throwing money at you? Have, how, how, how have you done that over this period of time? Because, you know, people, there are people out there that potentially want to start something as innovative as this and, and want to bring something to the boating industry that, that changes it in some way. Um, did you, how, how did you get that going? Sure. Um, so Carl and I have been full-time as startup founders for over six years now. And so that does require um, not just paying ourselves, um, but paying the rest of the team, yeah. which requires investment and capital before the robots are ready to pay their own way. Um, and I should mention that we certainly didn't pay ourselves for quite a few years there. Yeah. Um, Hence and- asking, can I live on the boat? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, look, being a, being a startup founder is um, really exciting um, and it's certainly there is access to capital from angel investors and from venture capital funds as well as from government grants. Um, it's definitely advisable to do something that can get to market a little quicker than autonomous underwater hull cleaning robots. <laughs> Um, if you if you if you're thinking of starting a business, um, and maybe you know, but 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 all jokes aside, there's never been a better time to be developing advanced and complex technology. I mean, you know, the canonical example is the 3D printer. Yes. You know, we can design something and then have a physical object there. But but the truth is, yeah, there's some over there. But the truth is, <laughs> the truth is, obviously robots build our robots yes. robots that machine aluminium robots that assemble circuit boards uh robots that do injection molding and all kinds of advanced vacuum casting and so on which mean that we can design parts uh in 3d on the computer we have our own pcb design engineers in-house we obviously have our own software team in-house 
um, and we assemble and build them here, and that is quite expensive to set up. <laughs> <laughs> so we've we've been we've been reasonably successful in uh, raising money from both the state and federal government. Uh, for we ex- we raised uh, um, most recently from the Physical Sciences Fund, which is. Um, a grant offered by the Office of the Chief Scientist and Engineer of New South Wales, which they give out uh, about a million bucks to four different companies each year. Yeah. And we were lucky enough to receive that, which which really helps. That's great. But for the most part, we pitch to investors. Okay. We, we have them through endlessly. Another part of Lily's role is making sure that persuading people to give them every sh- the money. shops clean and the robots are ready and we give them a demo and everyone's in in the right spots and where they need to be but yeah we, we present our plan to investors um who you described as nice people throwing us money <laughs> um and in return that they get you know a, a portion of ownership in the company yeah. um um, where we've done a number of different fundraising rounds. Um, we're currently raising capital at the moment yeah. from a range of funds and high net worth individuals and angel investors. Um, and I'll be heading to the US to Silicon Valley in next Thursday to meet with a whole bunch of our um, US investors over there and meet more of them and hopefully they're as nice as you say they are <laughs> as the checks as the checks listening. get bigger <laughs> as the checks get bigger and the stakes get higher there seems to be more and more lawyers involved <laughs> i can and, imagine and, and, I can and, imagine. and a little less um passionate people who have a boat and really want a whole bot um and um and a little more we really want you know a big piece of you and we want to see you guys um you know, take over the world. And yeah. that, that does require even more money and more people. Yeah. Um, in terms of the stage we're at, you know, we are going to market with our new robots. They'll be available for charter fleets. They'll be available for um, ferry fleets in a diversity of locations. And of course, to um, boat owners and clubs in the Sydney region, um, I know there's a lot of you out there and maybe some listening who are on our very long and growing wait list. We're sorry we haven't had enough money thrown at us to be able to make all the robots and hire all the people to to run them. Um, You're still there. You're still on our wait list. And if anyone wants to join, give me a call. And we we do offer demos and test cleans. You know, the way it usually works is... People are very worried, how does it work? Will it damage my coding and so on? Best resolved by just showing them it doing a small patch, either with them there or we do the before and after and they go, that's pretty good. And you're like, yeah. And the rest of the hole's pretty bad, right? What are you worried about? <laughs> what were we damaging here? Was it the reef, the floating reef that you have under your boat that you haven't seen before? Is that what we were damaging? Because uh, actually what we're trying to do is give you a boat that looks like this other customer's boat that's so smooth. And then they're like, I want it like that, but I also want you guys to come every three months. And yeah. they're like, yeah. let's come back in two weeks. We'll start the education. We'll start. And then we come back in two weeks and they're like, wow, there's yeah. stuff all over it. And you're like, we know. And they're like, 
but you know my boat has a propeller. And we're like, ah, oh, interesting. Thank you. We know that too. So we will, we will be, we'll be coming. We'll be yeah. coming back and offering you all clean hulls. Um, and um, we're, we're also, as you know, like as we've said over and over again, doing all these other cool things with the robot. Um, so if you have specific use cases or projects, be they um, construction projects or survey or analyses, problems you're facing, um, we would love to see whether our robot as a platform can deliver uh, value to you. And yeah, yeah, we, we, like we want to get them out there. Like marine needing to assess seagrass and blah, blah, blah. There's all sorts we, of options. We do that. We have a contract with Transport yeah. for New South Wales to yeah. map and monitor seagrass transplants at the moment. So yes, if you need seagrass looked at, yeah. we're your company. Pile inspections, um, all the rest. And if you're operating a dive business um, and you're interested in understanding what we're doing, please reach out. Um, we, you know, we we do see, um, uh, you know, the opportunity for robots to assist in all kinds of operations and all kinds of ways. Um, and yeah, let's yeah, supplementing let's, what everybody's doing as opposed yeah. to trying to, you know replace it it's all yeah. about making it all better working well together isn't it yeah and, and yeah. we we do you know we, we we do have a reputation of being reasonably critical of of anti-fouling paints we understand it's been the main way of maintaining hulls for a long time that comes not from a criticism of people using it um but rather just the science around just how harmful it is i mean it's pretty straightforward really it's put Whatever Which kills is why the most it would be nice if paint. we got to the stage that people buy a boat mm. and hull boat it, bought it from the start, as opposed to because um, we yeah it, we don't want anti-foul boats really being cleaned in the water. We want we want the the really really awesome version, if you yeah. like, is you buy your brand new boat and you hull bought it from the start, yeah. isn't it? It, yeah, de it so. depends if it's a hard or a soft. If yeah. it's a hard anti-foul and we clean it gently with brushes, yeah. nothing's coming off into the water. The problem is that hard anti-foul contains biocides, yes. stuff which kills the widest range of marine life possible, so it doesn't grow on the boat. And yeah. harms applicators yeah. as well. And, 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 it's, yeah. and so that, look, you know, we, we see there's going to be a transition, um, and it enables um, marinas and yards to offer newer products, and they may even be more expensive products um, or products that last longer but are more, more expensive to apply initially to a wider range of vessels. Um, so there's a, there's a real opportunity there to collaborate, um, and it's going to be different in every context and in every bay. But we are ready to clean whatever the boat already has on the hull. Mm. We will just vary our brush, our frequency, our pressure, our speed across the hull, the rotation rate of the brushes, <laughs> how many times we come over the same, same patch, and all of those things we can control very precisely so that we're not putting anything in the water or putting the absolute minimum in the water. Yeah. But, yeah, I think... If the question is, should people buy boats? Absolutely. Oh, gotcha. 
yeah, and like they're getting bigger. Is, yeah, they are getting bigger. <laughs> they are getting bigger. But the, um, I think, I mean, you know, we work um, as a, a husband and wife team of Darren Vaux and myself. So Dar- my husband is, you know, president of Icomia and he's, he does put so much into the industry volu- on a volunteer basis um, and I do as well. And um, it's because we have the fundamental belief that the more people go boating, the happier the world will be because it's it's blue mind, good good old Wallace J. Nichols with all his research and and um sorry, I didn't mean to call you old <laughs> Jay. <laughs> sorry Cut about that, that Jay. Cut that we'll, we'll take that out. <laughs> but Absolutely. um he's you know, his research that he's done in, into Blue Mind and all those wonderful things. Um, you know, it's it's about making boating even better in the future and certainly not talking about cutting it down or cutting down any of the of the wonderful things that is 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 boating because it is an incredible and like you say the whole move um from full ownership and full ownership absolutely has its total place in the world as well because um you know there's there's things going um and I was going to jump into syndication and clubs there I'm sure you realize that but going back on that there are things going on in the world that maybe some of our listeners don't even know about on an environmental basis, like super yacht owners throwing their super yacht, a bunch of scientists for a couple of weeks or a couple of months or whatever it is, and saying, here's my crew, here's my super yacht, here's my food on board, go and do some research. Yeah. There's things like that that are happening that probably some people, don't, you know, they look at the big bad, bad white boat and don't realise that's happening. But all of these things that we're doing and you bringing these products to the market to actually help with that whole message of we can do this better um, is absolutely awesome. So I know we've done a very long podcast today because this has been an hour and a half, believe it or not, <laughs> but it's been so interesting to talk to you. Um, I really appreciate your time. Is there anything that we've missed that you just want to get out there to the folks listening about Hullbot? Get in touch with us at hello at hullbot.com. And yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Come say hi. Come give us a call. Chat to us about the product. If you've got any questions, you don't understand something, we're here to explain it and we're here to work with the industry and learn and go on this journey together. Fantastic. I love that. Thanks, guys, so much. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Lily. It's been great talking to you. Uh, So it's been so lovely talking to you, Tom and Lily. If people want to see more information about Hullbot, which website do they go to? Hullbot.com. Hullbot. Well, that's pretty easy, isn't it? Okay. And I think Australians are known for their incredible, um, you know, contribution to the world in invention levels so i think this is just another one which is very very exciting um and to contact you how should they contact you just through the website there's a sign up form um or our emails are all there on the website as well brilliant thanks lily thanks tom thanks nikki thanks for having us oh it's it's such a pleasure it's been fascinating yeah an honor yeah and um i I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this one thank you So we will see you on the water soon. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Boat 
Princess podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you'd like to know more about what I do and where I am, then you can follow me on Instagram at The Boat Princess. You can also sign up to my newsletter on my website, which is theboatprincess.com. Take care of yourselves, everyone, and hopefully we'll see you on the water soon.